I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now, let's get things started with the Jack Riccardi Show. Good afternoon, Christian. Same to you, Mr. Riccardi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm going to invite you in an hour. We're going to, you and I, and if Don Cooper wants to get in on it, we're going to make our uh, picks for this weekend. Well, if Don's in it, I'm out. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Oh, is that how it is? <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Uh, no, I figured, you know, um, we know what we need to know at this point. Yep. We're I not going to so. be like those guys on sports television that wait till Friday. No, no. We're going to go now. Yeah, if you believe in it, put your foot down and mean it. Exactly. Yep. exactly. Well, and you guys have already picked your Super Bowl team, so, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're that far ahead. So, yeah, we'll pick the, we'll pick the wild card games uh, in good. about an hour after the 5 o'clock news. Um, so, all right, there's a lot going on. There, there is no way I'm going to get to all of this today. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna race through as much of this as we can, and, uh, you can jump on at 210 599 Congressman Chip Roy is coming on, uh, a little bit later on. 520, I think. So just in the last, uh, I guess a couple of hours, we found out that, that there are now more classified documents that, uh, walked away with former Vice President Joe Biden when the, uh, Obama administration ended. And um, remember yesterday we told you that they found, or his attorneys found, uh, some documents at the Biden think tank. By the way, <laughs> I mean, really, if, if, if your think tank is built around Joe Biden, mm. now, according to NBC News, another batch of classified documents in a location separate uh, from the first. No comment yet from the White House on the second uh, stash of documents. I'm pretty sure that they, you know, they probably know this stuff in advance of us knowing it. And um, it, it goes without saying, as I said yesterday, it goes without saying that, yes, Biden took stuff, Obama took stuff, Hillary had the unsecured server, Trump took stuff. Um, and, and and I'm not here to uh, have a freak out and go, oh, I'm, I'm worried that... that uh, that our security has been compromised. If you're an enemy of the United States, there's so many damn politicians that will sell us out to you. If you're the Chinese or the Iranians, there are so many American politicians that will sell out to you. You have your pick. Your hardest job is figuring out who to who to bribe, who to do business with. So I, I don't. I'm not saying this is a game changer. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that they talked a pretty good game when it was accused against Trump, and now all of a sudden they're trying to talk a different way about it when it's their team. And, and, and you know me. I, I, that's the, that's, I love politics, but I hate the team mentality, the, tr- the tribe mentality. So... My my issue with this, besides the obvious thing that these these documents do not belong to people, they belong to to we the people, uh, and and nobody should be absconding with this stuff. And I don't want to hear that it was accidental. You have you have teams. This isn't like my grandma, you know, losing her her debit card under the bed. You have teams of people managing your affairs, your files, your documents. My thing is, can we just admit that one 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 party is not lily white and the other one is evil? I'm just tired of that. Now, 
I want to play this for you. This was this was the ladies of the View saying that we need to look at the Biden thing differently. And look, before I even tell you what I think of this, I'm just going to play it. Cut number four. This is Joy Behar. Listen to this. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. You know, we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. But what I think also is going on, no matter what the truth of it is, Whoopi, they will spin it, Bubblehead and Marjorie Taylor and that crowd, Matt Gates. You think they're not going to spin this that is just as bad as Trump? And so the, the lie gets out there. People believe it, just like that Donaldson person, whatever his name is. Byron. What's his name? Byron, Byron Donalds. Mm. I saw him also. He was at the uh, the fight on the floor, too, yeah. wasn't he? He was nominated for speaker a number of times. by two people. Yeah. He's been involved in 15 rounds. But, I mean, what I'm just saying is that the lying has been so invasive, mm-hmm. so ubiquitous, mm-hmm. that no one will believe the truth anymore. And that, that you can put that at the, at the feet of Donald Trump, who started That's the lying. It. There it is. There it is. Biden has documents he's not supposed to have because Trump. I mean, everything is because Trump. It's a multiple choice quiz for joy behar and choices a b c and d are all trump that's that's is it embarrassing to be a woman i'm just curious is it embarrassing to be a woman and this is the show that is supposed to represent the the woman's point of view on on current affairs current events there's just so many dumb takes and so many of them are on the view so yesterday, you know, I thought about this last night, and I didn't realize what was happening at the time. Yesterday I told you that they are, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration is considering banning, uh, basically through regulatory means, uh, gas stoves in homes and businesses. And it's, it's sort of a trial balloon. They don't have it all fleshed out yet. And they were quick to say, um, hey, it's it's for new construction and new stoves, not existing ones. Or as Mary Catherine Ham said on Twitter, if you like your stove, you can keep it. But I told you this yesterday, and you didn't exactly explode with outrage. You know? I, I've done this a long time. I, I remember when we would talk about stuff like Ilian Gonzalez, or remember the, remember the kid that was in the closet, Ilian Gonzalez, or just different things. People would just explode with fury. How dare it's and, I, and you know I'm realizing now I'm realizing now you are so exhausted from outrage that you have been battered and beaten with so many over the top ridiculous stories that that it's not possible anymore to be as upset as you were in the 1990s or the early 2000s it just isn't it's coming at you every day. There wasn't an Ilian Gonzalez every day, every week, every month, but now there is every day. There's a gas stove ban every day. And you're sitting there going, what's next? I wonder what's next. What will they come for next? And I'm going to tell you what they're going to come for next. It's very easy to tell. We are seeing what I'm going to call a war on what works. The left is fighting a war on what works. Whatever works, it's war on that. Cars, 
we're going to have EVs. The border fence, we're going to have open borders. Oil, no, we're going to have wind. Children growing up colorblind, no, we're going to have CRT. Merit, hard work, no, we're going to have diversity, equity, and inclusion. The a-holes on the left are going to come after whatever works. Something that no one ever heard of. Until this week, I had never heard anything about gas stoves. Overnight, they're talking about it like everybody who's anybody knows. Only, Only an idiot doesn't know. Using words like actually and literally. It's like they're already tired of having to explain it to us, and they just started explaining it to us this week. And what they're explaining is based on junk science. It's not even real science. It reminds me of the plastic straw thing. Remember how we had plastic straws all our lives? We had plastic straws. Here's a straw. Plastic straw. All of a sudden, remember there was like a week where having a plastic straw was a war crime? People shrank in horror. And companies were were announcing the move to paper straws, which which are terrible. And it happened, it came out of nowhere. You were like, well, when did this, what, what, when did this start? And it was already over. The pattern keeps repeating itself. These bored elitists whip out some flimsy study, announce that this is for your own good, and then issue edicts that make our lives harder and more expensive. It's whatever works. The war is on whatever works. So whatever in your home, whatever in your life, whatever in your job makes life easier or more convenient, they're coming for it. Look at the electric car thing right now. The auto industry, and I'm a fan of the auto industry. I'm a, I'm a big-time car buff. I spent last night looking through old car brochures. That's my thing. I love it. You'd be bored stiff. I was having the time of my life. But I was thinking about how this is an industry that really knows its customer. They know how to stroke us and play us and the curve of a fender and the wording of an options list, even the naming of vehicles. They know how to, they can sell a guy that lives in the city and is always on pavement, a four by four that he'll never use off road, but he feels so damn good driving a four by four. I mean, they're geniuses, the auto industry at making what people crave. And right before our eyes, right now, they are committing corporate suicide. They are all rushing to make a product no one wants, most cannot afford, and a product they can't even make enough of, as we talked about yesterday. There's no way to make enough EVs, which maybe is the point, that there will be fewer cars. And... and. It's one thing for the politicians to want that, and I told you yesterday why they might want fewer cars, fewer personal vehicles, but the auto industry going along with that is nuts, and yet they're doing it. They are committing this act of electric cargasm right in front of our eyes. Charles C.W. Cook, who's a conservative writer I really like, pointed out that with the uh, gas stove thing, you could just easily cherry-pick a different set of statistics and and ban electric stoves. 
He said, if you look at, for example, fire hazard, electric stoves are exponentially more dangerous. But so the, the science is so junky, you can, you can interchange it. You can ban anything. You can make any argument with the way they cherry pick the facts. And yet another person on Twitter said, it's like they're just throwing darts. But I think they're coming after what works. Now, another big story today, and we're going to talk to uh, Peter Greenberg, the CBS News travel editor, about this. The uh, FAA had a ground uh, halt uh, this morning because the computer system went down. It's a system called NOTAM, which this is interesting, by the way. I didn't know this till today. NOTAM always used to stand for Notice to Airmen. And Pete Buttigieg our brilliant transportation secretary changed that to notice to air missions because it's more gender inclusive. Well, what he maybe should have been paying attention to was the antiquated computer system that went down. And it's interesting that it was a computer failure, according to the FAA, because it's Pete Buttigieg who attacked Southwest Airlines for not having uh, beefed up uh, their computer systems. Remember, he said he would force them to spend money on it. Pot. Meat kettle. So we'll talk about that today. Um, and Pete Buttigieg is an example of this, you know, sort of new left elite upper crust. Um, they're, they're bored with the way things are. They want to shake it up. They want to leave their mark. He doesn't actually know anything about transportation. This 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 gig is giving him a chance to traipse around the world on the taxpayer dollar and polish his resume so he can run for president. So you, you've got a guy at the top. I, I'm not saying that we've had the prior transportation secretaries have been transportation experts, because I know they haven't been, most of them. But, I mean, this guy is particularly galling in that he really doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, and And it's funny to me, I see this even in the private sector, it's funny to me how often uh, companies and organizations don't, um, maintain their computer systems. And, and I guess for politicians, it's because that's not a very popular or sexy thing to talk about. But I see it even in the private sector. How many times at your company are you let down? Is the Achilles seal some patchwork thing they did with the computers or the mainframe or the network or the LAN or the whatever it is? In other words, there's always like a band-aid where there really just should be an investment. And, um, it's, it's typical of politicians that they will demand the airlines upgrade their computer systems, but not upgrade their own. Just getting word on this. This has just uh, come down here in the last couple of minutes. Uh, rock guitarist Jeff Beck has died. He was uh, 78. Statement from his family uh, announces his passing. He was uh, dealing with bacterial meningitis and had a brief uh, illness. Uh, he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and, uh, of course, has, has been in a lot of, uh, played with all the biggies and been in all the big bands, and um, we've played some Jeff Beck music, his bump music on this show, so our thoughts and condolences uh, certainly with his family and with all the fans of Jeff Beck. We'll talk more about that here coming up. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy is going to join us in just under an hour. Um, we've been talking about, among other things, the, you know, the, the, the electric, uh, excuse me, the gas stove story, is not a standalone story. It, it really is a pattern. And I think what's happened, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm all wet, but I, I just think people are beat down. There's, 
that there's no like time to breathe between the outrages, between the assaults on daily life. And it's one thing if you were living your life in some sort of edgy, controversial way, but people feel like the government is coming after them for just doing things that are, that are routine and mundane. I just want to go home and cook dinner on my stove. You know, that's not exactly a controversial stance, right? And, and these are coming at us so fast and so furious that it defeats people's ability to rise up and say no. And so I don't think it's that you don't care. Cause I really was thinking last night, God, I told him something that, you know, is, is really going to be a pain. And people were like, Oh yeah, okay. But, but I understand. I mean, you, you, you can't be mad all the time. You can't, you can't be at 11 on the uh, outrage meter all the time, right? And then I think, too, when you look at, at everything that is being reformed out of existence, it's all stuff that, that sort of makes sense to us, that works. Like, the modern automobile is an evolution of decades. It's an evolution of, of, of among other things, efficiency and clean air technology and aerodynamics but it's also an evolution of of desire and craving and and uh, a product that people emotionally connect with I, I, many of us feel differently about the car we drive than the toaster we use it's a different kind of product but but it, you can't have it anymore and and not only can you not have it but shame on you if you want it and you go down the list and you realize anything that makes sense to us, anything that is n- normal to us normal people, it's got to go. Now, maybe they won't get away with the gas stove. Or maybe they'll pull their horns in. But they keep testing. They keep pushing. And before we know it, there'll be something else like this that we're talking about tomorrow or next week. or And people can't keep up. And you get to a point, I remember George Carlin had a comedy bit where he was talking about how as a kid he would get he would get slapped for saying bad words. And he said, but the only way to find out what the bad words are was to say them. And he said, I used to think, why don't they just give us a list of words uh, that we can say? And, and that's where people are going to be eventually. Maybe not you, but people are eventually going to be like, just what, what am I allowed to do? Just, just give me a list of the things I'm allowed to do that are okay to do, according to you people. But yeah, a, a very small sliver of people are waging war on the things in your life and my life that work. That make life a little easier. A little more comfortable. 210-599-5555. You know, we're not asking for, we're not asking for it for handouts. We're not asking to be given a stove. Just let us use the, 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 the damn one we want, right? What, who's who is who are these people? I mentioned today, by the way, on my column at KTSA.com, one of the people that chimed in right away is AOC. Yet she tweeted out cooking videos of herself using a gas stove. You know what they cook with at the White House? You know what the White House kitchen uses? Take a guess. Gas. And professional chefs are in an uproar because almost all the restaurant tours use gas. 
And some of them are pointing out that it doesn't even make sense to switch to electric if you're thinking about the environment. If everybody used electric ranges and stoves, we would need to generate a lot more electricity. And you generate electricity with what? Natural gas. about the passing of rock and roll hall of famer jeff beck he had bacterial meningitis he was 78 he um has been on the scene for my entire life i mean i i was just saying to don cooper our producer when i think of jeff beck i think of of a young guy with long lanky hair but he was he was 78 all of these people uh, that we think of as eternally, you know, young rockers. I, like, I think of like, when I think of Jeff Beck, I think of like, like Steve Winwood or, or, uh, you know, Rod Stewart or, or Eric Clapp. These people are all getting up there. And, um, of course he, uh, uh, played with, uh, well, he, he played with everybody I just mentioned, as a matter of fact, but he, he played with a number of, uh, even non-rock artists, he, he did an album with uh, Herbie Hancock, the jazz great. And that album we just played uh, right there, a song called Freeway Jam, uh, off an album called Blow by Blow, was produced by Beatles producer George Martin. So definitely uh, rock and roll royalty Jeff Beck, twice inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll hear more from him coming up. 210-599-5555, or you can email me, jack at KTSA. Dot com. Josh is on the radio. Josh, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to make a comment about the gas stove thing. I have a feeling this has something more to do with the ESG score because think about it. Once they try to, if they actually succeed in, in implementing the ESG score, if your ESG score isn't high enough, guess what? We can turn off your electricity. Oh, now you also can't cook because everyone has electric stoves. You can't, you know, have mm-hmm. hot water because most hot water heaters in most mm-hmm. areas are required to be electric now instead of gas. So I have mm-hmm. a feeling it's a way of uh, population control. Well, you know, if you had said this to me 20 years ago, Josh, I'd have either laughed at you or hung up on you. But today, well, I mean, i got to be honest, all right? I'm just being honest. I mean, today, I, you, you've heard me say, I, I really think the whole electric car thing is uh, is is aimed in the same direction as, as you're pointing out. I, I, I think the idea is um, products that enable people to live independent of control are bad. The serfs, you and me, we can't have too much freedom. We're much easier to control when there's an, a, a simple kill switch. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I suppose you could say, I suppose you could say in a way, maybe, so, maybe the FAA thing was like, a, was like an experiment. You know, hey, we can ground all the planes. Uh, blame the computer. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying I know, and, and I'm not saying I have proof. And if you if you make me produce proof, I can't produce proof. But but that is the caliber of people. That is the kind of amorality in the people that are running this country. And so I don't put it past them. I'm not saying I know they're doing it. But 20 years ago, I'd have said, "Come on, that's that's crazy talk. That belongs on." you know, Art Bell or something. No, no. I mean, that is plausible. 
We have just been through a two-and-a-half-year experiment in gaslighting, in knowingly lying to people, in mass manipulation. It was all out in the open, politicians sitting there on their thrones, deeming which businesses were essential and non-essential. I mean, you, you can't put it past them. So I don't, I'm not saying you should believe what Josh just said. I'm saying you should be open to what Josh just said. Now, this is interesting. I saw this the other day. Um, this is a survey that came out at the end of last year. It says that one out of four people are spending over 15% of their income on their car payments. And um, it's different for different uh, uh, generations. But um, people are basically overextended on their cars. And of course these are these are internal combustion cars. These are gasoline cars. This is this is the way we are now. If this many Americans are overextended paying for what are now quasi affordable cars, and then you are transitioning to cars that cost two, three times as much How many people are going to own a car? Not as many people as own one now. I mean, that seems by design, doesn't it? I, I have not heard one thing that would make me believe that the, the, uh, advocates, the activists intend for each gasoline powered car in each driveway to be replaced by an electric car. I believe the, the plan is simply to make sure that only electric cars are available, and then the the number of them and the price of them will do the sorting out. And, you know, you, you will have to make a decision. If you are barely able to afford a gasoline-powered car, you're not going to be able to afford an electric car. Here's another story. This was in the Wall Street Journal. We've talked about this many times before. What's happening to American cities, they're hollowing out Everything from uh, the crime wave to um, the schools to now the the greater and greater ability of more and more people to work from home or work at a distance. In other words, even if you're not working from home, you don't necessarily have to be in the city where your industry or your corporation is. means that American cities are hollowing out, and it's causing the mass transit systems in major cities to shrivel and die. They are way below capacity, not only on weekends, but even on Mondays and Fridays. This was a study from the University of Illinois, and they looked at several major cities. And it's everything from crime to, again, the remote uh, work uh, environment. They looked at New York and uh, Chicago and San Francisco and Boston. Mass transit is dying. Now, the same politicians that are pushing electric cars and now want to get your gas stove, I guess. They've always wanted to get you into mass transit. They've tried everything. We see it here in San Antonio, all these catchy billboards and advertising campaigns and the buppies and the, you know, they redesign the Via logo every couple of years. Same buses, new logo, you know. Well, if nothing else works and we can't, 
persuade you to park the car, then maybe you just don't need a car. We'll get you on those buses and trains and streetcars and what have you. And this stuff seems to come out of nowhere to you and me because, again, things like cars and stoves, this is just everyday stuff to us. When we use these products in our lives, when we acquire them, buy them, choose them, they're not political to us, right? Like you're, you're, you don't look at your stove and go, I'm really making a statement here, right? But see, to them, everything is politics. Everything is. Everything is a chance to hammer it home. And I don't know how to, I'm not sure what we can do about that because we don't want to be like them. I'm talking about these lefties, but, but you have to be aware of how they think. So you jump in the, the car, the truck, turn it on, you go. That's just point A to point B stuff for you, but not to them. And I love that they're saying, well, we're not going to confiscate existing stoves. Uh, this will apply only to new products. Gee, thanks. That's decent of you. Very, very nice. Thank you for allowing me to keep what I bought with my own money. But yeah, it comes out of nowhere to us, but not to them. See, to them, they're always, this is always the thought process. How do we improve these Neanderthals that we're ruling over? You know, we can't, we can't count on them to do what we want them to do. They're never going to choose to do things we want them to do or live the way we want them to. They're never going to accept our pronouns. But we can, you know, little by little here and there, and if we do it at a steady enough pace, most of them will just give in. It won't be worth fighting. You can't fight. Remember the old saying, can't fight City Hall. I mean, if you're listening to a show like this right now, you might be a little more apt than the average person. To, to, to take a stand. But I'm th- I'm thinking now, and I want you to think now, about like people that are still wearing masks outside. They're just beat down, you know? They're just like, well, whatever I need to do, I just want to get through the day. You know, I just want to get home to my family. Dude, I'll, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I'm not allowed to do. Tell me what words I'm not allowed to use. Tell me what music has been canceled. Tell me what movie I'm not allowed to watch anymore. Tell me what jokes aren't funny anymore. I just want to get through the day. I'm no, I don't want to fight. There's too much. 20 years ago, there might be one, you know, ginormous, outrageous political overreach from the Clinton administration or something. And yeah, people could rise up. But now it's, it's, it's every minute of every hour. Most people don't have that kind of fight or that kind of energy. We got an incredible response on the, um, say a line from an old commercial thing last night. So I, a ton of people emailed me, and we're going we're gonna to play a few more of them. We're not going to take more calls on it, but we're going to play a few more of them coming up uh, next hour. And uh, Congressman Chip Roy is going to join us, too, uh, with what's going on in the uh, new 118th Congress. Uh, some of these things that we've been talking about uh, today, we will uh, put to Chip Roy here as well. Um, 210-599-5555. Uh, are they serious about banning gas stoves? Whether they are or they're not, the pattern is pretty clear. Um, we're seeing an organized, orchestrated, uh, top-down war on everyday things, 
items, objects, technologies that make your life and mine easier. And um, basically, if you want to know what's next, what are they going to come for next, just look around. If it's something that you use at work or at home, if it's a convenience, if it represents progress to you, then that's probably something that somebody uh, will be taking away. Chris is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Chris, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, uh, the thing about gas stoves is, is efficiency, and gas is more efficient than electricity. But then they want to take all that away. And just like Obama said way back when we was president, he wanted to take our guns. But he couldn't take the guns because of our Second Amendment rights. But then he said, well, if I can't take your gun, I'm going to take your ammunition. I'm going to make it harder for you to get the ammo. So it's just progressive going down the line. And, you know, like I tell my wife, you know, a gas stove is more efficient than electricity, but gas is a lot more, is cheaper than electricity, but now they're going to jack the price up on uh, gas, so they'll, they'll kick you out and they'll make it harder for you to use that gas. So, well, and, and I mean, uh, there was a guy on Fox, a restaurant owner, saying, don't they know, and I'm sure they do know, that the the electricity we use today, a plurality of it in this country, is generated by natural gas. I guess, yes. Because yeah. I used to do, uh, uh, like in Seguin, we did the power plant, and that's all gas. It's all uh, turbine gas, you know. Yeah. It generates uh, boils water and makes steam, and that's what turns the turbines. But, you know, they want to change the, the, the things that really do work for, for the American people. They want to take that away and make it you struggle. My theory is if you want to go green, you want to go uh, solar and wind, you need to shut everything down. And you can't do anything else with electricity. You go solar, you go wind, and you stay away from electricity, stay away from gas. You, you pedal a bicycle to charge your car. Do whatever you have to do. But, you know, if you want to go green, then you go green. Mm-hmm. And, that's my philosophy. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's. I, I, I think you're. I think you're onto something there, Chris. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. Here's a um, indictment of this whole mindset. Uh, recently published paper, Dr. Wallace Mannheimer says it'll be the end of modern civilization if the uh, green energy advocates get their way. He is a physics PhD from MIT, has a 50-year career in energy research, including at the Plasma Physics Division of the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory, has published over 200 science papers. So obviously he's a, he's a quack and a nut, right? <laughs> and he uh, recently wrote um, regarding wind and solar, it would be tragic, quote, when not only this new infrastructure fails, but will cost trillions, trash large portions of the environment, and be entirely unnecessary. The stakes are enormous, he wrote. Now, again, just think about this. I'm not, I'm not preaching this like it's the gospel. But if you want power and control over people, then you want things that have an on-off switch, right? You want things that they depend on you for, right? And if people like Dr. Mannheimer turn out to be correct and you know, society collapses, they will have even more power over you. You will, you will beg them to take over, take the wheel. So 
I hate to say it, and I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope someday we can laugh at this conversation. But it just looks like they win either way. And you and I have got to figure out how to, how to and where to make a stand because otherwise it's like there's, you can't, you can't be on maximum outrage every minute of every hour of every day. And there's just certain things we're going to have, battles we're going to have to pick and fight and others we're going to have to let go. A few days ago, we made our picks for the Super Bowl. Uh, Christian Blood picked the 49ers and the Bills. Uh, Don Cooper, our producer, picked San Francisco and Cincinnati. And I picked uh, the 49ers and the Chiefs. So we all picked the 49ers. We all picked a different team uh, from the AFC. Now let's pick the wild card games this weekend. All right? So first one, Saturday we have Seattle at San Francisco. I think very clearly that's San Francisco's game, right? Yeah, a couple things about that. That's going to be a, a rematch between division rivals. Mm-hmm. 49ers have won both games so far. It's tough to beat a team three mm-hmm. times in a good point. year. Good point. And the 49ers, even though Brock Purdy has looked pretty good, this is a, this is a rookie who hadn't even played the whole year. So yeah. I'm kind of with you on the 49ers, but I guess the Cowboys fan of me is, is hoping it's the Seahawks. So, yeah, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don, you uh, good with San Francisco on that, or are you on upset alert? <laughs> no, I think 49ers is going to pass on that. A lot. I mean, that'd what? be a great story. If Seattle won that game. That'd be a great, obviously, be a great story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but I don't. Uh, then we have. Uh, they're still looking the, uh, at Garoppolo possibly back in the playoffs again this year. Is that correct? Am I right on that or not? Yeah, they, I don't know why you yeah. would. I would leave everything the way mm-hmm. it is if I were them. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You have uh, the Chargers at Jacksonville uh, Saturday night. Um, this is the only um, road team I'm picking this weekend. I actually think I, I, I think they are going to pull this off. I, I love I love Jacksonville. I love the story this year. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they won the game, but I, I think the Chargers are a little bit better. You know, I'm a big fan of Trevor Lawrence. I mean, right me after right after Joe Burrow, who just blew me away a few years ago at LSU. I think Lawrence, I mean, I was equally impressed with how he beat Alabama as a freshman at Clemson. Oh, he's a stud. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean. And he's finally got a good coach. He's finally got somebody, you know, took a couple of years, but he's, they've got him right where he needs to be. Justin Herbert's good too, though. Yeah. I think I'm going to take Jacksonville in this. Okay. We will put Jacksonville for Christian. Uh, Don, who do you like between LA and Jacksonville? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Jacksonville on this one. Okay. All right. Saturday, we'll go quick here because we want to get to all of these. Uh, I'm sorry, Sunday, uh, Miami at Buffalo. Um, I'm picking Buffalo. I'm going Bills. Okay. And the Bills. Done. Mm-hmm. All right, the everybody's with Buffalo. Uh, this is the one a lot of the sports writers think is the uh, the potential upset game. Uh, the Giants at Minnesota. Everybody just loves to doubt you know Minnesota and 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 loves to doubt Kirk Cousins and but I I just I don't see the Giants pulling this off. It's hard for me to see it also, but like you said, Cousins is Cousins, and the brighter the lights, the more he wilts. I'm gonna I'm cautiously going Giants. Okay, mm. Christian with the Giants, Don. See, they just signed uh, James Washington 
as as uh, the latest receiver. And I, I think I'm going to stick with mm. the Giants on that. Okay, so Christian and Don are with the Giants. Okay, and then the Sunday night game is um, Baltimore at Cincinnati, which is obviously not going to be as great a matchup as it would have been uh, if you had both uh, quarterbacks in there. I, I, I think, to me, that this is an easy one. I'm going with Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm going Bengals. And the Bengals, no doubt. All right. And then uh, Monday night. Oh, this uh, team from Dallas. <laughs> Playing the best at for last. <laughs> Tampa. It's so appropriate that this is the final game of the weekend, right? I mean, this is this is it. This at is prime time. time. This was no accident. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to pick Tampa. I I, I know that uh, sooner or later Dallas is going to is going to get Tom Brady's number, but I don't think it's going to be a, a Monday night. Yeah, I've got an article up on KTSA.com now. Cowboys versus Brady. History needs to change is what it's called. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to change. I'm going to go Bucks 23, Dallas 16. Okay. Don? Oh, I got to go with Tampa Bay. You know how I feel about Dallas lately. (laughs) (laughs) Lately. (laughs) Let me ask you you guys one more question uh, because we had the comments. You heard the comments. Uh, Joe played them for us uh, this week. Jerry Jones did his uh, interview, what is it, Mondays or Tuesdays, that he's on the, the fan mm-hmm. in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they asked him the question about Mike McCarthy, and he said, oh, no, 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 I'm not thinking about, we're not making any, having any thoughts or any doubts. I disagree. I truly think Mike McCarthy is coaching for his uh, life on Monday night. If they lose that game and they are one and done again, and when you have people like Sean Payton available and, and interested I just I don't think Mike McCarthy survives this. No, I have to agree with that too. And you know, I was listening to San Antonio Sports Tar this morning, and they're kind of echoing the same tune, uh, Rob Thompson and Rudy J. And what this boils down to is, I mean, Jerry Jones can't really say anything else right now. He's not going to say yeah. He has to say it. This yeah. is what he has to say. But you've got Sean Payton out there. It really boils down to whether or not the Cowboys are willing to give up a first round pick to get Peyton, which I think they would still have to do. But I think Peyton did more with Drew Brees and you know, going to a championship than McCarthy did with Rodgers. Mm. That mm-hmm. might, it might mm-hmm. come down to that. But, yeah, Jerry's not wanting to wait around. I agree. He's now, lying. The, the other side of the coin, I, I've heard people say, oh, no, no, you, you, you don't understand. Uh, Jerry Jones is abnormally loyal. Look how long he stayed with Jason Garrett. Look how long he stayed. But Jason Garrett was a cowboy. Yeah. Jason Garrett was like his son. He came up through the whole organization. Um, and, and now Jerry Jones is 80. Yeah. He didn't have a lot of time. Well, on the other side too, Jack, I mean, McCarthy has now won 12 games two years in a row. Two years in a row. That's not exactly That's hard poor. to do. It's very no. hard to do. So, you know, does Jerry Jones think that now if they lose this game and the Seahawks and the Giants win and the Cowboys blew a chance to come home for the divisional round, I think McCarthy, I think it depends on how the game is played. If they lay an egg like they did against Washington, McCarthy's done. If it's close and heroic, at eh, coin flip. Okay, so we got our picks. They're locked in. We'll see how we do. And thank you, gentlemen. Joining us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Congressman Chip Roy. Uh, Congressman, uh, first of all, good afternoon and, and congratulations because uh, since we last spoke, uh, you and uh, your uh, band of your your merry band of men and women 
uh, not only uh, prevailed in the battle over Speaker, but I really think, in a way, the, the story that's a bigger story is that rules package. You know, the media really focused on Kevin McCarthy, understandably so, but to me, what's even more significant than who wields the gavel are the rules that you guys are now running the House under. Well, Jack, good to be on, and yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, been up here for quite a while. It's a long week and a half. I look forward to going home to Texas tomorrow. My daughter's 4-H uh, goat show is on Friday, and that'll be fun. But look, we've um, we've accomplished a good thing here. Uh, it's one step of many that needs to be taken to restore the people's house. And yes, at the center of it, it was a battle about the speaker. But the truth is, everything about this institution is currently broken, right? I mean, I just gave a speech on the House floor about spending money and getting people down to the floor and debate. And what we did last week was fight for a number of things. One of which was the rules package you just described, to have single subject legislation, 72 hours to read bills, amendments that are you know, actually relevant, what we call germane, and the ability to offer amendments on appropriations bills on the floor of the House to open it up and lay a rank, rank and file to control how the end result will be. But it was also about setting the tone, making sure committees are representative of the entirety of the body, basically getting more conservatives on committees. Today, the Speaker honored that, and he added a few more people to the powerful Appropriations Committee. That's a very good thing. It will produce better bills. And we got a, we got a promise, an agreement, to ensure that we're going to limit spending, put a cap in there, and fight and try to stand up for the American people that they don't want to continue this endless, limitless spending that will limit spending to 22 levels. And no, there was no agreement to go cut defense spending. We can accomplish that objective, keep defense spending at the last this last year, 23 levels, which is higher, and uh, do our job. But you can't just keep spending money we don't have to fund the bureaucrats that are undermining our freedom, Jack, as you and I have talked about many times. Uh, you all were called the Chaos Caucus, but you were called that by people who, it seems to me, uh, really had a stake in keeping the House broken. In, in other words, what you guys were doing, and I know you weren't all guys, but what, what you were doing yeah. was was really more restorative than radical. Well, that, I think you're right, Jack. That, that's my perspective as well in trying to make the House representatives actually representative. Um, but I do have to note, right, I want to say thank you to the uh, thousands of constituents, Texans, people across the country, too, who reached out thanking us for standing up for them. And frankly, to the dozens or even just a, maybe a few hundreds of, of, of folks that were complaining and saying, te- texting me or sending in emails or making phone calls saying, you got to go cut a deal. What are you doing? Oh, my gosh. You know, everything's going to blow up. We're going to end up with a Democrat speaker. Look. I get elected to do a job in a republic, and I did that job. And frankly, there was a lot of people who stood with us and were proud of us and offered prayerful support, and God bless you for it. There's a handful that wouldn't stay with us. They're the same people who often complain about how broken things are and complain about the debt and complain about how broken it is. But yet when we dare to stand up and try to change it, a few people were taking shots at us. Well, you know what? We stood up. We got changes. We America continued. The sun came up. We have a speaker, and now we're more united than ever to go fight against the socialist machine and the swamp in this town. And we're going to keep doing it. And I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, we're talking with Congressman Chip Roy on KTSa right now. Um, we were talking earlier about this uh, idea of uh, banning uh, gas stoves. 
And I was calling it the war on what works, because if you look at, at the pattern, every single thing the left comes after is a mundane, everyday product or convenience of modern American life, whether it's gasoline-powered cars or oil-generated energy or merit in school or the workplace, and now something as simple as what you cook your dinner on. It's almost like they spend all their time dreaming up new edicts and, and, and whatever we find effective, convenient, pleasurable, well, that's what's got to go. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, this is all a joke. I mean, it, 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 we, it's really a war on happiness, Jack. It's, it's a war on enjoying life. And, and I'm just going to be honest. I mean, you know, the, those pushing these kinds of policies, they just don't enjoy the world. I actually like, I like this world that God gave us. I like Texas. I like being able to go to a gas stove and cook food, knowing full well that we're not doing anything to harm our world by doing that. China is pumping out 1,100. They've got 1,100 coal-fired plants, and they're building 50 more every single year. It's ridiculous. And we're going to save the world by ending the burning of clean-burning American natural gas? That is ridiculous. The fact of the matter is, we know that we've got the ability to have a very strong, clean environment with reliable energy. Uh, this is a foolish tax by the radical left. And look, they just expose how crazy and out of touch they are every single day. Uh, they're undermining American freedom. Like, for example, you know, you've got these battery-powered cars, and they don't, they, they don't tell you that your electricity bill is going to double. They don't tell you that when it gets down to 5 or 10 degrees, they only go half as far. They don't tell you that as it happened in Florida after the floods, after the hurricane, a bunch of them caught fire because they got corroded from the water. Look, the, the fact is we know exactly what we need to do for this country, and that's what we're going to do right now, fight for energy freedom, fight for health care freedom, fight to limit spending, fight to secure our border, secure our country with a strong non-woke military that's sparingly used, and we're going to get busy doing that if I have any say about it. But what, what do you say to people, I, I agree with you, but what do you say to people that are sitting here hearing all this and thinking, look, every hour of every day there's a new outrage. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't want to be at war constantly. Uh, uh, you know, I just, I just want to be left alone. I just want to live. Well, I would tell them to understand and respect the Republican form of government our founders gave us, why we can agree to disagree, and stop electing radical leftist Democrats, particularly right there in San Antonio. Just stop it. I mean, just take your country back. Make your streets safe. Stop the stupid policies. I mean, if you're listening to this radio station and you're a Republican, hold Republicans accountable for doing what we said we would do. I mean, Republicans are part of the uniparty as well, embracing a lot of the dumb policies that we that we feel. Mm -hmm. But it's radical socialists, particularly embedded in DA's offices, and city councils who run around meddling in everybody's lives, just as they do in these big world health organizations in the United Nations and just as they do in academic institutions like Harvard and, frankly, even our own schools in Texas. And take your country back. It's your country. Live your life freely. Stand up for your kids. Don't take it anymore. They tell you not to use gas, use gas. Like, you just got to stand up and reclaim your inheritance and, and don't wring your hands about it. And what are you hearing about the FAA computer failure this morning? I mean, I think it's ironic that you have the administration uh, basing its new immigration policy on an app that will probably f fail on day one. But meanwhile, the FAA is using out-of-date uh, equipment uh, which caused a ground stoppage, and this is the same Secretary of Transportation who just weeks ago was scolding Southwest Airlines for not upgrading their computer uh, infrastructure. 
Well, here's the difference between the Department of Transportation led by Pete Buttigieg and Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, and they're going to fix the problem. It's a great airline. They're going to fix it. They got their bottoms kicked. Trust me, I was on some phone calls with them, and I was holding them accountable on those phone calls and, and, and calling them out. But I don't want regulation to do that. And you don't elect, you know, you don't choose the mayor of a small town because of woke, politically correct reasons who likes to go around talking about racist highways to make sure that your transportation system is working. You get people in there who can actually do the job. And they're not. Uh, there they, are very few responsibilities there. Stop talking to me about your roads and highways. Make the friggin' air traffic control work. You know, do your job. This administration, it, look, the same thing as the Department of Defense. They are more concerned, and they made their number one thing was talking about uh, ensuring that they've got diversity and that they're doing that they're, uh, you know, advancing all of their equity agenda and everything else. The Department of Defense, it's killing recruiting. We need to end that. That needs to be a part of our spending bills this year. Look, I am energized to fight for the people that I represent. The American people demand that we change things under that through the House of Representatives and the People's House. The Senate is going to have to be made to deal with the People's House this year. And we're going to, uh, you know, I think move forward in a very positive direction after the changes we made last week. Congressman, always good to have you. Congressman Chip Roy with us. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jack. God bless. God bless you, too. Anyway, since it is Wednesday, I will take this opportunity to remind you that we will be kicking off the weekend on Friday with The Dish. We'll talk restaurants in the 6 o'clock hour. And if you uh, feel so moved... You can call in and praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on Friday after 6 on The Dish. I noticed uh, today that CNN seems to have really pivoted to the story. We haven't talked about it on this show, not by not intending to omit it. I just haven't really had a chance to get to it. But they are really all in on the story of this missing woman in Massachusetts uh, Anna Walsh, if you haven't heard the story, she's a, uh, a lady who, um, lived in Cohasset, Massachusetts, which is a pretty little, uh, town in Massachusetts, um, and commuted, uh, to a job in, uh, Washington, D.C., and didn't show up, and hasn't been seen, uh, for several days, and th- they fear the worst. And then it uh, turned out that a search of uh, the home she shared with her husband, Brian Walsh, uh, turned up a bloody, uh, damaged knife uh, and some other things, which obviously doesn't look good. <clears throat> uh, they've caught the husband in some lies about his movements. For example, he said that he took his uh, kid to get ice cream on January 2nd, but they actually have surveillance video of him in a store buying $400 worth of cleaning supplies, including tarps and mops and a bucket. And then, oh, wait, no, I'm not done. And then it says that in going through um, his computer, he Googled, quote, How to dispose of a 115-pound woman's body. How to dispose of a 115-pound woman's body. Now, you're innocent until proven guilty, I know, but boy, that doesn't take Sherlock Holmes 
right? Who? <laughs> I'm sorry. Who who should we who should we say instead? Doesn't take Give me give me a name. I'll take anybody. Doesn't take law and order, right? To figure out that that does not look good. And um, so he is currently uh, a person of great interest. But back to the CNN thing. Um, There was a time when this kind of story would have really been kind of a a routine thing for CNN to to cover, to, to go all out on. I mean, we've talked about this, right? There's this phenomenon of taking what is essentially a local crime story in the olden days, prior to cable television news, this would only have been a story for Boston television stations and radio stations and newspapers and maybe New England, but that's about it. The, the the cable the way the cable networks were built, CNN in the eighties, Fox and MSNBC in the nineties. The way they were built was taking a a story and nationalizing the story. But they don't do that as much as they used to. And when they do, it's always interesting to look at at when and why. And you, you you'll have people who will say uh, if they haven't already. I'm sure somebody has already said, oh, well, they're only concerned about this woman because she's white. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not there. I don't, I don't know what their, their motivation is. But could I suggest another possibility? It seems to me that CNN uses this kind of coverage, which, again, is, I'm not saying it's out of the norm. It's not like they never do this kind of story. It seems to me like they use this kind of story to kind of bail out the Democratic Party. You know, is it a coincidence that whenever the headlines are unfavorable to a Democratic administration or a Democratic candidate, if it's an election year, all of a sudden there's a, there's a, a, a missing co-ed. All of a sudden there's a murdered mom of three. All of a sudden, you know what I mean? There's a, oh, there's a serial killer in, in Idaho, you know. And I mean, these things happen every day, but the cables don't go after them every day. They don't cover all of them. And I'm not saying I know what the system is or the criteria are, but the pattern I happen to see, just speaking for myself, is that it seems like this kind of coverage allows them to pivot away from Joe Biden having a terrible week, the Democrats in Congress freaking out about these new House rules we just talked about with uh, Chip Roy, you know, yesterday, the president of Mexico, we told you the president Biden was with uh, Trudeau and Lopez Obrador at the North American Leaders Summit. The, the president of Mexico said on live television through a translator this. I'm going to read you the quote. I'm not going to play it because it's the voice of the translator, but here, here, here's what the president of Mexico said to the president of the United States yesterday. You are the first president of the United States in a very long time, that has not built even one meter of wall. And we thank you for that, sir. That's that's quite a statement. I can see making that statement in private, but AMLO put that right out in public. He, he basically thanked Joe Biden for putting the, the, the American people last. 
Thank you for a policy that is better for Mexico than it is for the United States. Because another way of understanding that, or translating that, would be thank you for making it easier for me to get these people out of my country and making them your issue. We thank you for that. Who's the we? Who is, who is AMLO speaking for when he says we? Who, who benefits from these porous borders and this overwhelmed border patrol? Well, the cartels do. Is he, is he speaking for the cartels? I know they would be very offended if, if you suggested that. But who, who is, who is we? I mean, he's, he's sincerely grateful to Joe Biden, but it's quite a thing. To have it said right out in the open, right? Thank you for not building one meter of wall. And he's actually right, because in fact, every president since uh, Bill Clinton and up through Donald Trump put fencing or, or barriers of some kinds along some portions of the border. And certainly none of them ran on the idea that they would dismantle or have less. No one else ran on a weaker border until this guy. And so, hence, back to my original point, Democrats in disarray, failures, systemic failures, the FAA, I guess over at CNN when they had their meeting this morning, it it seems like a good day to talk about the lady from Cohasset. God, God help her. God bless her. I hope, I hope they find her. I hope she's okay. It doesn't sound like she will be, but stories like this seem like they're, um, you know, in case of emergency, break glass approach. We welcome back to the show now, uh, one of my favorite people. And I've always said when it comes to travel, I don't know anybody that knows more about it, has more to say about it. Uh, then our next guest, Peter Greenberg, is the CBS News travel editor and uh, writes, commentates, uh, has a great website, uh, petergreenberg.com, I think it is. And he's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softener Newsmaker line. Peter, welcome back. You know, I've always wanted to be on a watermaker software. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, that's it. You can check that off on your list. Um, <laughs> Well, what the heck happened with the FAA today? What are you hearing? What, what went on there? Well, what happened is something that's been brewing for a long time. They're using antiquated equipment and software. And at about 4.18 this morning, the software that powers something called the NOTAM, it stands for Notice to Air Missions. It used to be called, if you want to know historically, Notice to Airmen, but they decided right. to become politically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it alerts pilots to hazards at airports, runways, construction, runway closures, you name it. And it's required for them to have that before you can dispatch the plane and it can push back from the gate. It basically shut down. And for the first time in 21 years, the FAA did something unthinkable, but they did it. They ordered a ground stop for the entire country. And, of course, the last time they did that was 9-11, which is a much more severe ground stop because it stopped all aircraft from entering U.S. airspace. Uh, today, it was just about the departures from all the airports. It lasted for about three and a half hours. They lifted it about 9.30 this morning, but by that time, of course, the damage had been done because the delays became exponential, cancellations followed, 
And the ripple effect will be felt probably through about noon tomorrow Eastern before the airlines can possibly get back on track, of course, weather notwithstanding. Now, we all remember uh, the uh, excoriation of Southwest Airlines for their computer software problems, and it was, in fact, this same federal government that, you know, wagged their finger. Uh, what will happen? I mean, will, will anybody lose their job? Will they get a new, will they actually fix this, or will, will they skate because they work in the public sector? Well, you know, they've been talking about fixing this at the FAA level for 30 years. They call it next-gen. They want to install next-gen equipment. Well, the irony is they've been talking about next-generation equipment for two generations now. Mm. Uh, what, has to, what has to happen is Congress first has to allocate the funding, and then you have to go on the fast track to implement the system because if you take as much time as they normally take to implement the new system, which may be six or seven or maybe even eight years, by the time they implement it, the equipment they're putting in is by definition outdated already. So yeah. they need to be on the fast track. And if they did the fast track, they could actually put in new systems with redundancy and backups in the next 18 months. You know, when I get on a plane, I just open a book and bury myself in it and and don't think about anything else until we land. I, I guess I wouldn't want to be sitting there thinking about antiquated computer systems and outdated software and, and stuff that can be so delicate that it just goes on the fritz all at once. I mean, are we... Are we probably better off not knowing how antiquated the infrastructure is when we're flying? Well, let me put it this way. We, uh, I'll give you the good news first. We've just celebrated the, the safest 30 years in commercial aviation safety since there's been aviation. That's the good news. The real question mm -hmm. is we, we really can't improve on it because it's been that good, but how do we maintain it? And we don't mm -hmm. maintain it with antiquated systems. Mm -hmm. We saw that with Southwest. We've now seen it with the FAA. And it all leads back to the FAA when you get down to it because they're the regulatory agency. So the DOT needs to weigh in here. Congress has to allocate the funds, and they've got to fix it. Or what we saw today or what we saw about 10 days ago with Southwest can easily repeat itself. I go back to when, and, and I think we're, we're close in age, you know, I can remember when there were a lot more airlines um, and names that have, that have completely disappeared and probably will never be heard again. I guess in my simplistic amateur view, I'm thinking if you have fewer airlines, then the role of regulators is greater. Is that safe to say? It should be that, shouldn't it? Uh, you know, you don't want to be complacent here. And the FAA has to come to grips with one other thing. When it was established by an act of Congress back in 1935, it was given an impossible dual mandate. Part one was to enact and enforce airline safety and regulation. And part two, which is the scary part, they were also given the mandate to promote the business of aviation. You cannot do both. And they have to come to grips with the fact that the airlines and the manufacturers are not their clients. We're their clients. Mm. And the FAA has to step up to the plate soon or we may. Tom, CBS uh, News travel editor Peter Greenberg. So uh, before we go, Peter, if people haven't traveled yet this year, they haven't gotten on a plane yet for the first time, what should they expect? Uh, what's new? What's trending? What's changing uh, when people fly this year? Well, the best, the best news for American travelers is the continuing strong power of the U.S. dollar against so many foreign currencies, against the euro, the British pound, the Turkish lira, the, the uh, Argentinian peso, the South African rand. We're talking the equivalent of a 30 to 40% discount if you go to those countries. 
uh, because of the cost of goods and services, they can't adjust that for the fact that they've devalued their own currency. So that's where you really want to go. You, you follow the power of the U.S. dollar, you are going to have a great time. I'll tell you what, um, while we were talking, um, a friend of mine uh, sent me a couple of photos of a press tour uh, that he was on uh, with you. Uh, he was writing for San Antonio Magazine, and you were part of a media trip uh, to Spain in 1989. You, you've probably traveled so much, you don't even remember all the trips you've taken, right? <laughs> I actually do remember them because I've kept every passport and every passport stamp, and I'm still astounded by it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll send you these pictures. He, 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 he sent me a couple of pictures of a very young-looking uh, Peter Greenberg. You know what? I'll take them uh, under under advisement. <laughs> under yeah, that's right. What what happens to them? We will never know. Uh, and the website is petergreenberg.com, right? It is absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, every every Thursday at noon, if you go to Facebook dot com, I do my global travel update from another destination somewhere in the world. It's a complete travel update, which we'll get into depth on just what happened today as well. Excellent. Well, you do a great job, and it's great to have you back here with us. I hope you'll come back soon and. Peter, thank you for the time tonight. Hey, anytime. We heard that uh, DeMar Hamlin was uh, discharged home from the hospital in Buffalo. Yeah. And I was reading this afternoon, uh, Christian, he is raising money for the University of Cincinnati Medical Center uh, with the sale of a T-shirt that says, Did We Win? Oh, really? I knew he'd gotten out of the hospital, but what a promotion is that? Um, wow. as, as you probably remember, he, he was reportedly, uh, one of the very first things he supposedly asked, uh, yeah. doctors about the game that he was taken out of, uh, on the second was, did we win? Mm-hmm. And so now they've got a t-shirt comes in different colors and sizes and it's got, did we win? And then hands, uh, formed in the shape of a heart, um, which a lot of people have been doing to show support for him. So the money goes to the U- university, uh, of Cincinnati trauma center. And uh, you can go to didwewin.shop if you're interested in those T-shirts. I think everybody wins with that. That's right. All right. So 210-599-5555. Later in the hour, we're going to see how you voted in the JR poll. And we had such a response to the vintage commercial thing last night that I'm going to play you some more of them. I'm not going to take more calls on it, but we got so many emails uh, about it from people that couldn't get through or kept emailing me after the show last night. Cause once you start down that path of, of remembering, you know, jingles and lines and slogans, it, one leads to another, leads to another. No, nobody can remember just like one, right? So anyway, we got a bunch of them and we'll play some of those here coming up as well. We were asking people last night, say a line from an old, uh, TV or radio, uh, commercial. Also today, we've been talking about uh, what we're calling the war on what works. Yesterday, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal, a trial balloon from the Biden administration uh, on uh, the quote-unquote hidden hazard of gas stoves, and maybe they should be banned. And the administration has an advisory council that's working on that. And um, on the one hand, uh, there was quite a vehement reaction but there really wasn't the 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 um i guess the uh volume of reaction i would have expected and i think what's happening and i'd like to get your thoughts on this 
I, I think what's happening is when you occasionally outrage the American people, they can stop what they're doing, call their talk show, write to their congressman, you know, do whatever. But when there is an hour by hour, every day of every week assault on everyday stuff, the cars we drive, the way we use power, the, the way we cook our dinner, the way, just the way our children learn everything and anything and the most mundane things and things that don't seem controversial. When those are always under, um, threat of regulation, ban, elimination, you, you can't, you can't do it anymore. I mean, it, it's a rare person that can stay on, you know, constant outrage alert. And so I think it, it beats a lot of people down. They're not bad people. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this as a criticism or uh, like I'm better than them. But, but I mean, you, a lot of people just cannot keep up with all this. And what they're going to do is they're going to just pull their heads in their shells and say, okay, let me just, I just need to get through the day. And the, the problem with that approach is unfortunately, if you leave them alone, they're not going to leave you alone. Yesterday we talked about how the IRS most aggressively audits the lowest income taxpayers. And that's a slap in the face for people who thought that IRS audits were synonymous with, you know, you know, money bags type people. But see, the, the rich people, there's no point auditing the very wealthy. They have teams of lawyers and accountants and strategies, and they're, they've already done things with their money proactively. So for the IRS to hire whatever it is, I hear, I hear different numbers. The number I've heard most often is 87,000 new agents, but whatever it is. For the IRS to go after more taxpayers, they're, they're obviously going to go after the ones who are the best prospects. That's people like you and me. You do your own taxes, or you TurboTax, or you you know go to Block or whatever. But but I mean, it's not. You would think they would be auditing people with very complicated uh, financial arrangements, but that's not the case. And then you look at something like this FAA story, and we were just talking about it with Peter Greenberg. Now here's the federal government screaming its head off at Southwest Airlines, saying there's going to be fines, you're going to have to pay restitution, we're going to make you do it, how dare you, because of what happened around the holidays. And that was a, that was, that was a terrible look for Southwest Airlines. But if you were stranded by Southwest Airlines, you could fly a different airline next time. If you were stranded this morning by the FAA, you can't fly a different FAA. So we have this phenomenon of the governing class being really bad at their job, but somehow knowing all about yours and mine. You know, they can't do what they're supposed to do. They, they, they're not getting it done. Take your pick, the border. But they know all about your business and my business. They're experts in what we do, how we should do it. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. We talk about uh, the gas stove thing and other things. Um, 
This was in my Twitter feed today, or yesterday, actually, but it happened last year. So I, I didn't see it at the time. I, I want to play this for you because I think this is, this is funny and this is also a little bit sad. Let me, let me set this up. This is a, uh, like a video conference last March in celebration of Women's History Month. And it's a, it's, um, a group of women who work for the Department of Health and Human Services. They're sitting on a stage. It's a video conference event moderated by one of these bureaucrats. And they're, uh, introducing all of the women on the stage. Well, I say women in quotes. They're introducing all of the people on the panel and they come to Admiral Rachel Levine. For the introduction to Admiral Rachel Levine. Take a listen to this. Admiral Levine, um, March is Women's History Month, which is why we're all here. And, you know, you are a pioneer and have smashed many glass ceilings. What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to have Women's History Month be celebrated in this way? Well, thank you for that question and thank you for your kind comments. You know, I think Women's History Month is an opportunity for women to support each other. I think that we need to work to empower each hold other. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to support each other. We need to work together. What? Hello? It's Women's History Month, and you're on the stage as a, as a man, biological man. I, I, I will, I will, uh, I'm fine with how you want to think of yourself and what you want to call yourself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on Rachel Levine. I don't know what's worse, that you would sit on that stage with actual women and talk to them about how important it is for women to support each other, or, or maybe what's worse is that there are women sitting there going along with this. And I've asked this question before, and I guess it's a rhetorical question, and I've never really had an answer, but I don't understand what women are doing going along with this, complying with this. The, the, the women's rights movement goes back to the 19th century, your great-great-grandmother's time. Women fought, marched, suffered to get the vote, to go to school, to work, to be able to do things we now all take for granted. I mean, if you're a woman today, you probably do 10 different things every day of your life that no woman was allowed to do a hundred years ago. Why are you? It's not for me. I'm just out here on the edges. I'm on the on the fringes. Why would you sit there and participate in this? And I'm not asking you to slugger or be disrespectful, but no, it's Women's History Month. And then this whole pretending you broke a lot of glass ceilings. I, to quote Austin Powers, it's a man, baby. So I don't understand it. And I'm not, it, 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 you probably don't want to answer it, and I'm not going to make you answer it. There's a lot of women I respect, and I've put this question to, and they, they look very uncomfortable. And I'm not here to make people uncomfortable. But I really do not, I'm just saying, and maybe I speak for only myself, maybe there's other guys that feel this way. I don't understand. I really want to understand. There's been a few times in my life that women have 
gotten right up in my face if I said something or seemed to be expressing something chauvinistic or old-fashioned. I was put in my place, and some of those times I deserved it. This allowing sports to be erased, allowing uh, separate facilities to be erased, allowing this bizarre... We don't know what a woman is. We can't define it, or it's defined by whoever declares it. I mean, you're throwing away a 100 years of work. Are you sure you want to do that? What is the world going to look like when you've trashed and destroyed and thrown away and erased all of this? Are you sure that you want to do that? Just saying. Yeah, the um, the latest Department of Transportation budget appropriation... Um, includes um, a request for funding to advance racial equity and support underserved communities. They want an additional $20 million to promote equity and inclusion. Uh, there's another line where they're requesting billions of dollars for promoting environmental justice and climate change mitigation. But... That's not what the FAA or the Department of Transportation is for. You can believe in those things. You can personally favor those things. But from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, not literally, but you know what I mean, you got to do your job. They couldn't do their job this morning. And this we see this everywhere. Now, you and I, who work in the private sector, we don't get to go to work and choose feelings over the job or feelings over performance or feelings over the customer. But we're being governed by people who are doing that. They changed, you heard Peter Greenberg reference this, I mentioned it earlier, the system that crashed this morning is called NOTAM. It always stood for notice to airmen until this year. And now it stands for notice to air missions because notice to airmen was not inclusive. Well, they were definitely inclusive this morning. Everybody's plane was on the ground. 100%. 210-599-5555. Yeah, I played the the women's history panel with Admiral Rachel Levine. And again, I'm not, I'm not a hater. I'm a live and let live guy. I just do not understand when women sit there and watch their progress, their place at the table, their uniqueness be erased by men. Never used to be that way. Never used to take that. Are you just tired of fighting it or? Are you thinking this is not really a threat? Maybe you're thinking, oh, Jack, I don't know what you're carrying on about. We're, we're fine with, with Rachel Levine. She's one of us. You really believe that? Like, do you believe that Caitlyn Jenner won all those medals in the Olympics as a woman? I mean, we're calling her Caitlyn Jenner now. Okay, fine, whatever. But that was all as a man. 210 599 5555. Shelly is on KTSA. Hi, Shelly. 
Hi, Jack. How are you today? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I just wanted to uh, to be a brave woman, I guess, and actually call in and, and talk about the, the women's history. I, I think it's a travesty that it's being completely overridden. It, it absolutely is. And, and for me personally, I'll, I'll say why we kind of, I don't speak up about it. Um, there's two reasons. A fear of being canceled. Um, you know, everyone wants to attack you all the time. And the other piece that I have experienced personally is that when I have spoken up about things that I'm considered aggressive, um, you can't be a strong woman. You're just automatically considered aggressive and against everybody and against mm. everything. So that's kind of just my little perspective. Is that where that. the, is that where the B word comes in? Absolutely. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I wish I had a, a winning lottery ticket for the many times that I've been called that, you know, doesn't even bother me anymore. But now, now, I believe you, Shelly, but I want, to, I want to ask you a question. I, I, I can understand, like, where I come from, I, I, there were guys that, you know, were kind of, you know, Archie Bunker, knuckle-dragging kind of, you know, broads and all that. I mean, okay, I, I get it with people like that. But you're being canceled, not you personally, but women. You're being canceled by people that are not, um, like, male chauvinists. They're, they're other women. Yes. And that's the most hurtful. I think that's kind of the most hurtful part um, that exactly we're supposed to stand together and be strong together, but you're not allowed to do that. I mean, it's the, you know, women are kind of almost vipers against themselves. They kind of turn against each other very quickly. So what is this going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years or when my daughter is, you know, our age? I mean, it, it, to me, it looks like the things that I assumed would always be there might not be. Yeah, it's very scary. I have a I have a twenty year old daughter myself, um, who is goes she goes to a very liberal school out of state. Um, so her her mindset has changed a little bit. That's all the topic. But I mean, it it definitely is something that I fear for her. Everything that we did fight for. Um, even, you know, not just 100 years ago, but even recently. I mean, I've had to fight and claw my way to the top. I mean, I was originally from Chicago. I was one of, a, you know, a few female firefighters on the fire department. And that took a lot. But now that's all kind of being washed away, that everyone's just equal. Everyone gets a trophy. Um, you're not special because you're a woman anymore. Mm. Well, just it's know that to, to a lot of us, we still appreciate the difference. Um, and we honor it, um, but we're, we're as men, we're just kind of puzzled. And you, you've definitely, you've definitely said a lot. We're just kind of puzzled when we see women on that stage. These are all women that have risen to a position of prominence in the government. They all have a a, a management title in the government, and they're sitting there with Rachel Levine telling them about how women need to support each other. It's surreal. It is. It's a hundred percent surreal. And the bad thing is, is I'm sure that. I would say at least 50%, that's kind of a safe number, did not agree with her being there. Again, I support whatever. I'm like you. I don't care. Do you. I, I, I don't care. You don't affect my family. I don't care. But I'm sure that at least 50% of the women in that room were thinking the same thing in their head, that this is crazy, but they were completely petrified to say mm -hmm. a word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shelly, uh, I'm really glad you called. Uh, appreciate having you listen. Hope you'll call again. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Have a good night. So we were talking last night about uh, 
old lines and jingles from vintage commercials. And I got to thinking about it because the emails kept coming in last night. I, I got to thinking about, do you remember the, the series Mad Men? It was a, uh, a series about or, or a fic- fictional depiction of like, uh, early 1960s, uh, Madison Avenue ad executives. John Hamm was the star. I think that was kind of a breakout role for John Hamm. But anyway, it was a good show. I remember watching it and really enjoying it. And it was, it was about the people that created the kind of advertising we're talking about here. So they were themselves very politically incorrect and they were risk takers. And I think that's why there is nostalgia, even for the, forget about the, the, the television shows and, and so forth of the era. There's even nostalgia for the commercials of the era because they were edgy and creative and, um, they took chances. And it was funny because they were taking chances in an era where, you know, people were very conservative. Now we live in a much less conservative era and yet, Advertising now plays it very, very safe. Isn't that weird? Like it's the like role reversal. But these are the ads that people were writing to me about last night. So Ferdinand, and I totally remember this. This was an ad that started running in the late 60s for Noxema shaving cream, cut number seven. Nothing takes it off like Noxema medicated shave. Take it off. Take it all off. Video of a guy shaving. He's just shaving. But the music and the narrator, right? Nothing takes it off like. Mm. Noxema medicated shave. Take it all off. All right, so uh, Sandy had two good ones. Uh, this was a vintage ad for Alka-Seltzer. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. Mm. I, I mean, even as a kid, I didn't need Alka-Seltzer, obviously. But I knew what it was because of those jingles. Sandy also remembered, and this is one we mentioned last night, Band-Aid, which uh, had a jingle originally uh, composed by Barry Manilow. Here's Band-Aid, cut number six. I am stuck on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid stuck on me. I am stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on me. Because they hold on tight and mess up and they clean and soapy Only Band-Aid brand adhesive bandages from Johnson & Johnson have our super stay-on adhesive. You'll notice the difference because it stays on you better than anything else you can buy. All right, uh, these are some of the vintage ads that people were writing to me about last night after our on-air discussion. Dane uh, remembered, uh, this was a long-running series of ads for York Peppermint Patty, cut number 10. When I bite into a York Peppermint Patty, 
I get the sensation of cold, crisp mountain air against my face as I race towards liftoff in the whole world championship ski jump. York Peppermint Patty. Get the sensation of York's dark, rich chocolate covering a cool, crisp mint center. And the crowd roars as he executes a faultless landing. Lovely, Arthur. You win a silver. Get the York <laughs> sensation. All right. And, you know, you got to be, uh, those were funny. There was a whole series of them, tons and tons of them. That was a good memory, Dane. Uh, you also got to be memorable, like maybe with a jingle or something that just kind of sticks in your head. Rick had one, cut number 11. Listen to this. This is perfect. He doesn't talk about my coffee that way. This is Maxwell House. Been around as long as that clock. I think it tastes best. Good to the last drop. Maxwell House is always good. Try some yourself. Hi, Cora. Hi, Hi kids. Get that clock running? Sure did, and her coffee's been fantastic. Maxwell House is the only kind I sell. Like they say, good to the last drop. <laughs> Maxwell House Coffee from General Foods. Always good to the last drop. Yeah, that was uh, that really stuck in your head. Good to the last drop. I think that might even still be on their packaging for Maxwell House, right? Um, there were a lot of actually pretty good coffee. You remember Mrs. Uh, Olson for Folgers? You remember those, Don? There was this nice Scandinavian, sort of vaguely Scandinavian lady uh, making uh, Folgers uh, coffee. She had her hair up in a kind of a complicated bun. And uh, I don't know. She just sounded like she would know what good, you know, that she, accent. Did, didn't she seem kind of snooty? Well, with, she just seemed like she'd know. Like, like, like I'm, you like know, this knew, lady, yeah. she's probably eating strudel all day and washing <laughs> it down with good coffee, right? Like, you know, she would know. I, and then, and then I don't know. More recently, these were maybe in the '90s, I think. There was a whole series of ads for Taster's Choice. Do you remember these with a man and a woman? And it was like a almost like a mini series. It was. They were getting to know each other and flirting over Taster's Choice, which is instant coffee. But it was, you know, was bringing them together. Yeah, I was trying to think. Was it? Uh, it was a famous actor that was in part. Of I think one of them of turned out to yeah went on to bigger things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember those were the and and this is how different things are in the splintered media world that we live in now, when there were fewer channels and so forth. The morning after a new one of those ads would run. People would call into the radio show to talk about the couple, like like this was like it was like they had watched the latest um, episode of a show or a soap or something. It was unbelievable, and there were a lot of things like that. I remember the Polaroid. Was it Polaroid that um, uh, Marion Hartley and and James Garner yes. did? Was that Polaroid? Yes, no? remember that. Yes, remember, it was. people mm-hmm. thought they were they a couple. Thought they were married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they had great chemistry. And I remember one of them said in an interview, the chemistry was real, but they were, you know, definitely not, um, a couple. Sometimes it's just a catchphrase. And this to me is one of the all time best. A lot of people wrote into me, uh, with this one, a whole series of these. Cut number eight. In New Orleans, it's Creole pepper steak and beef bracciola in the north end of Boston. There's a great corned beef sandwich of 7th and 55th. And in Chicago, a porterhouse steak, the perfect medium rare. At the end of each day, all over the country, nothing satisfies so many people in so many ways. Beef. 
It's what's for dinner. Beef, it's what's for dinner. So you can have your impossible burgers and your beyond patties. and <laughs> well, That was Robert Mitchum, right, Don? Was that Robert Mitchum? That was Robert Mitchum, and yeah. I think Sam Elliott is taking over. And then Sam Elliott, yeah, mm-hmm. after, yeah, after Robert Mitchum. I mean, great voices, great, very simple statement. Beef, it's what's for dinner. I don't know if it's what's for dinner tonight, but it was what's for dinner back then. One of the uh, most iconic guitar players ever, near the top of every list of greatest guitar players of all time, Jeff Beck, has passed away at the age of 78 right there, his first solo single from 1966. Boy, when, when you say that's from 1966, Don Cooper, that... That sounds as fresh as if it was recorded yesterday. It's evergreen, absolutely. That really, mm-hmm. that really is. I could, I mean, that you could play that on a rock station. You could play that on a on a jazz station. I mean, that, that's just that's incredible. Um, Jeff Beck recently uh, came off a tour uh, that he did promoting his most recent album that he made with Johnny Depp. Um, he is a multi Grammy winning uh, artist. He has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, once as a member of the Yardbirds uh, and once once uh, in his own uh, right. Uh, to give you an idea of how far back he goes, uh, he was the replacement for Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. Uh, we'll talk more about Jeff Beck here in just a second. Uh, real quick on the JR poll. We asked you tonight, uh, because of this political trial balloon on banning gas stoves do you cook with gas or with electric 63 percent in the jr poll say they cook with gas and 37 percent electric we'll have a new jr poll question tomorrow we'll get started here at four you can find the jr poll anytime at ktsa.com and in fact you can find whole uh, episodes of our show in podcast form uh, when you pull down the on-demand tab at ktsa.com so if you're a podcast kind of person and you like listening to things on your own schedule, on your own time, this is not just a live radio show that happens between 4 and 7. You can hear it anytime in its entirety. Uh, go to KTSA.com and find our show anywhere else that you find your favorite podcasts. So, yeah, Jeff Beck um, replaces Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. Um blazes a trail, creates a sound. And then everywhere he went, he no matter who he's playing with, no matter how many other great musicians are involved in the, in the project, uh, his, his sound just, just pops. He had his own band, the Jeff Beck Group, uh, played with Jimmy Page, played with Rod Stewart, uh, before Rod Stewart became a big uh, solo star, uh, experimented with a little more of an R&B sound in the 70s, played with Vanilla Fudge, uh, even did an album with uh, jazz legend Herbie Hancock. Uh, played with fusion artists. And uh, remember uh, uh, Jan Hammer, 
the Miami Vice guy, played with him, um, was known as a perfectionist and kind of a difficult bandmate, but not difficult in the sense of being out of control, more like perfectionist and wanting to get the sound right, um, kind of worked on his own schedule and his own pace, but as became more and more uh, famous and iconic, obviously people accommodated that. You would, right? And um, as I mentioned, uh, has been active right up until very, very uh, recently, just came off the road in a tour. Do you remember in 1985 when uh, Jeff Beck reunited with Ron Stewart? Remember this mm-hmm. song? People mm-hmm. Get Ready? It was a mm-hmm. Sure do. We played this, I remember it. That's a great sound. So rest in peace, Jeff Beck. In fact, we're going to leave you uh, tonight with one more from him. Um, And this is uh, from his days with the Yardbirds. uh, From the late, great Jeff Beck tonight, The Shape of Things. And I'll see you back here at 4 tomorrow.